Hour two, kick it off here in the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios. Today, tomorrow, and always, drink White Claw Hard Seltzer. Responsibly, please. Responsibly. We love our White Claw Hard Seltzer. Sam, what did we miss from yesterday? Thanks, John. We got some news in MLB, some big contracts going out. Uh, Jose Altuve, the... Superstar second baseman for the Houston Astros. They are in agreement on a five-year, $125 million contract extension. Uh, was set to hit free agency after this year, so he was still under contract, obviously. Uh, but they lock him up for another five years. That one, I would assume that extension will probably play him probably to the end of his playing days over there in Houston. Uh, will be an Astro for life. Many of the, uh, I think the Houston Astros account tweeted the graphic saying he's going to be an Astro for life. Yeah, surely, like, I mean, this takes him through, I think, his age 39 season. Yeah, yeah. So I can't imagine 40-year-old Jose Altuve throws it all away to go play, like, one year somewhere else. Like, at that point, you know, you'll give him a one-year contract and bring him back if he wants to keep playing. But, yeah, five years, $125 million. I mean, he – I don't know where he ranks in terms of best Astros of all time, but I would imagine he is in the top, like, three. Oh, yeah. Like, maybe Nolan Ryan. I don't know how long Nolan Ryan was there or whatever, but, like, Jose Altuve is the best Astro of my lifetime. Carlos Beltran got really hot that postseason, but, of course, you know, wasn't playing with them long enough to maybe reach this status. Jose Altuve has been important to them for, what, now, a decade? Yeah. He, he made their debut in 2011. He's been kind of that – the one guy that's been just lockstep with them every every step of the way in that whole rebuild first second baseman in MLB history to uh, to make $300 in career earnings. $300? Sorry, $300 <laughs> million. Dollars. Surely a lot of those second basemen made $300. <laughs> $300 million. <laughs> a classic. $300 slip, million. <laughs> That's like saying they won 12 out of their last 11 games. Um, I love watching him play. I still – it just feels a little tarnished with me with the whole, you know – do you remember him? I remember him running the bases after that walk-off home run, and you know they were, they typically ripped the jerseys off, and he wouldn't let them, and now you know why, and yeah, all that stuff. It's it's a little bit of a bummer, but he's he's a hell of a player, man. There's I, no doubt. I gotta say he's been redeemed as far as I'm concerned. The the fact they got back and won another World Series, and the fact that his numbers, I mean, they declined a little bit afterwards, but they're back to being. I mean, he's back to being elite, right? I mean, yeah. Just in general, the Astros are still really really good, so. Kind of like Tom Brady and Spygate and Tom Brady and Deflategate. Are those a part of the story? Sure. But like it's not like they discredit everything they did. And it's kind of like, okay, maybe something was going on for an edge. But also, like, everyone probably does something similar to that. The Yankees had their phone thing going on. The Red Sox had their thing going on. That's who they were competing with, again, you know, with the Astros. So it's like, hey, you, you cheated in recruiting in college football. Yeah, so was our competition. We just got caught. Now, do I think everyone had like a buzzard attached to them? Maybe not, if that is the case. But, you know, Altuve benefited a lot from coming back and winning and being good afterwards. Because if he had, had cratered and crashed after that, it would have, you know, undone everything he did. 
I'm always struck by, I mean, just as recently as last season, some of the home runs he hits, mm -hmm. they're like tape measure yeah. shots for a yeah. guy his size. It's incredible. They don't make sense. Yeah. They don't make sense. He is, he is it sucked whenever he did become so hated because he is fun to watch. And like, is, it was yeah. cool. Like, oh, look at this little guy here just mashing the ball. He's one of the best like postseason performers too. Like you yeah. know, whenever the Astros get in you're the right. playoffs, you're going to get a hell of a performance from Altuve. Good point uh, by you, Sam. Uh, some more news in baseball: uh, Clayton Kershaw is back with the Dodgers. This uh, contract is not, you know, the the terms are not haven't been said yet. It, it really seems like it's just going to be a one year deal. He's out um, for half the year too, right? He is out for half of the season. He's yeah. rehabbing that shoulder, but this makes that uh, that Dodger starting rotation. Nearly untouchable. Obviously, they went and, and signed Yamamoto as kind of their number one guy to start that rotation. Walker Buehler will be back after being injured. You'll get Kershaw. They traded for Tyler Glasnow from the Rays. That's a massive arm. And then they've got Bobby Miller, who's a, a young prospect that's coming up, too. So you've got five studs in, in terms of starting pitchers. They won't even Dodgers. need Kershaw when the playoffs actually roll around. He probably won't even be in the postseason rotation. <laughs> Speaking as a well, – you don't want him in the postseason, honestly. It's right. always been disappointing. No. I, I got to believe this might be the end of the road, truly, for him. This is probably like a, a swan song season. I'm glad he's staying there, but, uh, yeah, they're, they've, they're just loaded on the mound at this point. A chance at history in NHL was broken up last night. The Edmonton Oilers were going to – Tie the 92-93 Penguins for the longest win streak in NHL history last night at 16 games. Did it they was, lose? They lost. Broke Yesterday was up. the first time I saw anyone mention that they yep. were on this long win streak. Last night was for the tie now, for the streak, and they lost. Correct me if I'm wrong, not a hockey guy at all, at all, but the 92-93 Penguins, they also were beating ties as well. Is that correct? Was this still when they were doing ties in NHL? I don't know. That might be that might be right. Honestly, I've I haven't seen that. They did used to do ties in NHL, right? I'm not I'm not making that up, right? But they did did do that, right? Probably back in those days. And then they went to like shootout and like you know like overtime. And yeah, shootout. I, I would assume. I, I swear there used to be ties in NHL, but I was also thinking about that <laughs> yesterday when I saw that bottom line. I don't remember '90s hockey's rules. So you okay, sure, but I said no. <laughs> okay, whatever. Uh, what what year was that? 1992. Yeah, 92, 93. Let's see. I'm googling NHL standings 1993. I'm gonna get to the bottom of this. This is called doing my own research. Uh, yeah, ties. Okay. Yeah, yeah ties. But yeah, I, mean, I think was... I think you got to play one overtime, then you got a tie. I think it's how it used to go. Never been a hockey guy. I had a friend in kindergarten, Patrick, who you know used to come in in his like Detroit Red Wings okay. Stanley Cup shirts and like they'd won a bunch of championships so i knew that in kindergarten but outside of that never been a hockey guy but yeah it does say they had ties back then yeah yep who did you say had the record uh the penguins the old penguins the old penguins in 1993 yeah 92 93 season it says in 84 games they had 56 wins 21 losses and seven ties so it's kind of crazy to have a 21 game win streak and only win 56 games that is crazy You'd I mean, the Oilers were starting terrible too before this. They started the season three nine and one, fired their coach, and then just went on an insane run. I mean, I guess they did have the best record in the league. So okay, either way, that's enough hockey. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the NBA, Joel Embiid, obviously, uh, you know, it's been rumored that he's had some of those knee problems. He goes and undergoes his knee surgery uh, on the lateral meniscus, uh, and he's going to be reevaluated in four weeks. So, you know, obviously the kind of the story a couple weeks ago was if 
Embiid's going to be eligible for all those postseason awards. Obviously, him being out four weeks, you're not going to get that from Embiid. And uh, a big blow for the Sixers not having him for that long. You know, it might be good overall for Embiid and his health and his stamina when it comes to the playoffs because I think he kind of ran out of gas last year. I think he kind of runs out of gas every year in the playoffs. Fair point. Now, whether or not he can get ramped back up. So, four weeks, I mean, being reevaluated probably means he's seven weeks from playing. That's going to get you basically to the end of March. Playoffs start in April. You know, kind of the middle of April is usually how that goes. First weekend of April, maybe even. So, like, he's not going to have a lot of ramp-up time for the playoffs. But, you know, I was listening to some NBA podcast, getting ready for the trade deadline, and they said the Sixers are operating under the assumption – during this trade deadline that he'll be back. So, like, they're not going to be sellers. They're going to keep trying to make the team better to, like, have a legitimate chance to win a championship when he's healthy. So, something to keep an eye on there. 2005-2006, Sam. There's a piece of trivia for you. They might ask you that sometime at trivia. Okay. When did NHL get rid of ties altogether? The 05-06 season. Gotcha. God, it's been that long. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say it was like five years ago. So That's I, what you know? I thought, yeah. Now, COVID, I, I would have done the adjustment, but okay, COVID stopped my time. So, like, let's start at 2020, and then we'll go back five years. I said 2015 because COVID completely wrecked my, my frame of reference. It is true. Timing, but yeah. Yeah, that, I think I, that's why I'm blaming the, uh, the the miss yesterday on the Ravens 49ers was COVID. It just kind of messed me up. But, yeah, 0506. Should you get an extra – question and trivia like a covid question like you get an extra year of eligibility maybe maybe <laughs> uh in the nfl uh it is official now harbaugh's taking his defensive coordinator jesse minter with him uh to la as the chargers new dc also not taking his son his son jay harbaugh will be going to seattle with uh Mike McDonald, the old Michigan defensive coordinator when he was there. So his going with, like, his uncle's friends? Because, like, Mike McDonald coached with, like, you know, John Harbaugh. I guess, yeah. But you said there was a tie there. You said McDonald, did he have a tie? McDonald uh, coached at Michigan. Yeah. Oh, really? He was their defensive coordinator. Just for, for like, one bit. year, wasn't yeah, for, it? For, oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. Okay. So I guess there is a tether. So, wow, not going with his pops. Did he get a promotion? Did he get a better? No, he's just going to special teams coordinator at the Seahawks. So he's doing the same thing that he was doing at Michigan, but just taking it to the NFL. Interesting. I thought I thought it was reported that he was going with his pops to be the special teams coordinator. Did that, I guess, end up falling through? Or did this guy choose, like, hey, I'm going to forge my own path because these guys in the, in the locker room aren't going to respect me if I'm on daddy's staff? I guess. That would be a pretty cool career move if that was what he says. Like, hey, sorry, pops, I got this offer in Seattle. And I don't want to ride in your coattail, and I also don't want to work with you every day. This is saying that the Chargers are just retaining the co- the special teams coordinator that they had, so maybe they were just good with their last guy. Okay. I don't think that Michigan was that great of a special teams like unit at Michigan so far this year, so I don't know if he's that great of a special teams coach. I, I want to say that's wrong. Okay. I want to say that's wrong because I, I want to say that, and I'm not going to act like I'm a Michigan yeah, special teams expert. I don't know either. But so. I want to say I was listening to some Fallout podcasts or reading something because you remember they had a bunch of gaffes in their game against Alabama. Their special teams was terrible, and you know, like, and I want to say people were saying that was uncharacteristic okay. and like how they had had like a top unit all year and then just kind of lost their minds. And then, strangely enough, their punt returner made maybe one of the best plays ever. After fumbling a kick, he was able to hold on to that ball after getting absolutely rocked as time was ticking out in regulation. They almost lost on a muff punt slash fumbled punt. 
But I want to say they had a really good special team, Sam, if I remember correctly. I kind of remember those announcers saying that. I can't remember if it's okay. bad special teams or good one. Yeah. I want to say it's like, oh, it's so uncharacteristic. This unit's been you know so good all year, blah, blah, blah. Bob, you got something to say? No, I was just thinking maybe Seattle will get somebody else's son to join the staff too, right? You got Belichick's son. You got – he, no, no, He's Bel- at Washington. Belichick went college. That's right. McDonald's. Seattle. Yeah, yeah Seattle. You. Seattle's breaking in. My bad. See, I was going to say, like, you know, Belichick's son didn't really respect him as much being, you know, on his dad's staff. <laughs> didn't really respect that as much. Now if he goes to Washington, the University of Washington, and, you know, calls a good unit – I think he'll get more respect for that. I can't imagine the Patriots players like looked at weird Belichick with his mullet and <laughs> and, and gave him much respect. You know, it just kind of probably looked at him as a daddy's boy. Like, I mean, I don't know. I never really heard that coming out of their organization. You heard a lot about how much they love Gerard Mayo, though. Like, that was always the guy, like, on the defensive side of the ball that they respected. Like, hey, it's the next coach, blah, blah, blah. No one ever said anything good about Belichick other than, like, Hey, you know, he's not just his dad's son. He's also a football coach. <laughs> Keep it rolling. Let's burn a couple more minutes. We'll get stats by Will on it, like, you know, 822, 823. So give me some more news, Sam. Hurry. Uh, we got Gabby Douglas, some uh, some gymnastics news. The Some gymnastics news. A blast from the past. 2012 Olympic all-around champion. She's returning to competition for the first time in almost eight years in Louisville. On February 24th, so just a couple weeks. They say she's eyeing a return to the Olympics in, in Paris, which seems kind of crazy to go from not competing for eight years to I want to be back in the Olympics. i got to be honest. I care more about your gymnastics news than I did your hockey news. Okay. That's interesting. When I saw the name Gabby Douglas, I was like, oh, I remember her. She was once really, really good. Yeah. Uh, one time, the all-around gymnastics champion of the world. I'm not going to say I'm going to watch her in Louisville. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to tune in. But between her, is is Simone Biles still trying to compete in the Olympics too, or is is that over? Because I know she has talked about making a comeback too. Is she trying to get in the Olympics as well? Because if you can put Simone Biles and Gabby Douglas both doing like their old woman thing, like, hey, we're going to try to compete with these young girls, the 14-year-old Chinese girls that they're going to put on the Are team. Are they considered old women in like Olympic terms? She was the 2012 all-around champion gymnastics. Well, no, think, I'm saying uh, I don't think you have a 12-year shelf life in the Olympics. I'm usually. not saying Gabby Douglas. I'm saying uh, Simone Biles. Yeah, I mean, I think Simone Biles. Like, I mean, her farewell. Like, whenever she was in her last competition, I think they felt like, hey, she's kind of aging out. She's only 26. Yeah, but I mean, I think she had been a star since she was like 14 or 15. No, I don't know. Was she not in? Was Simone? I guess Biles? you do. I got to start really early in that. I'm. I'm not a resident gymnastics she's, expert she's uh, biles is trying to make a comeback yeah that's what it says yeah she's she's definitely training to uh qualify for the next games in paris i mean i don't know i guess i guess simone biles you know she won world championships in 14 so i mean yeah i feel like a 10-year run in gymnastics is kind of unique maybe i'm wrong she's only done two olympic games i feel yeah. like you get three in the three in the in the career for someone that good I don't know, man. Again, if you start in 2016, I mean, that's a long time. I don't know. It's Olympics, and it's like gymnastics. It doesn't really seem like something that, A, your body is meant to do for a long time in your adulthood with your joints and also, like, being so, like, regimented and, like, training it to be a world-class competitor. I mean, I don't know. Also, if you're taking 
you're coming back for the first time in eight years and you just want to come back in like the summer of 24, that doesn't seem like you're giving yourself all that much time to. Well, that's why I find it to be very fascinating. Like with Gabby Douglas, who hasn't competed in eight years. Like, so Mom Balls, I mean, she, I don't know if she's really competed since she had the whole spins. I don't know if you guys remember the discourse surrounding that and how everybody was like, oh, she's soft. She's scared of the the balance beam. Oh, you are you dizzy? I remember that. Yeah, really, like people that know like gymnastics, like actually, that's really bad if your equilibrium's thrown off. You can break your neck if you over rotate or under rotate. Maybe be maybe show her a little grace. You're like, oh man, I thought you were the best of all time. You're afraid to be a little dizzy. (laughs) I don't know if she's competed since then, but like again, if you get the band back together, I don't know if you know you'll run out Megan Maroney or. Or bring out any of those girls again, but like you know, Megan Maroney was that her name? I, I, <laughs> that's the I, country singer. <laughs> Kayla Maroney is that her name? Yes, that's that's. I, I don't know. I, yeah, that's. I'll bring out Megan Maroney too. If she's in the gymnastics team. I'll be into that as well. Was it Kayla Maroney? I think it was Michaela. Michaela. Maroney, yeah. Michaela's not impressed. That was the meme. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Megan Maroney can sing to him before they go out. Yeah. Maybe let her sing the national anthem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah bring out Michaela Maroney too, or whatever. <laughs> Anyways, that was enough gymnastics talk. Yeah, I was say, a lot of gymnastics. You don't care about Gabby Douglas and Simone Biles are American Patriots, Bob. I'm okay with it. I just we, we spend we spend ten minutes to show on that big circus freak Zach Eady. He's never won a gold medal for America. We don't even know if he'd play for Team America. He'd probably wasn't he on team he was wasn't he on Team Canada or Team China? Was he Team Canada? Team Canada. Yeah. He's a traitor. He's a turncoat, Bob. Did you see there's, speaking of. I'm talking about American Patriots here. Speaking of Zach Eady, who's a fine young man, there was. uh, Blood, sweat, and tears. There was was some sort of thing on social media last night that spotted him at a dispensary. Yeah. Um, It's like, good God, man, let it go. Come on. That's just crazy that he's the one going there, though. Like, bro. Send one of the equipment managers, the student managers. You're not going to blend in there, (laughs) Zach. They're going to know who you are. I saw a great tweet, and it was just that picture of him there, and it was like, surely they've got the wrong guy. (laughs) (laughs) That's good, actually. I mean, if he put a trench coat on over himself, he wouldn't look that different than, like, the little rascals when they stack three people (laughs) on top of each other. If you bring someone in on stilts. Yeah, yeah. if you put him in a trench coat, you can make the case that he is just a young teenage boy on stilts. Or or on some on his friend's shoulders. <sighs> we can talk about him. We can talk about Big ZD and Antonio Reeves all the time. But heaven forbid, Bob, that I mention two American Patriots, three American Patriots. Oh, I've got no problem. Michaela with Maroney, him. also a Patriot. I've got no problem with him. I just you know I'm done talking about it. That's all. <laughs> we'll talk some basketball stats by Will coming up after the break. It's the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. Good morning. Pretty crowded now. Coming down 75 over here between Callahan and Merchants Road as you travel southbound 75, getting on to 640. Traffic's on the increase out here in West Knoxville. 40 east, especially over the top of West Hills. Still looks good right now. Coming down I-40 through the Dandridge area, through that section of Jefferson County, headed towards Sevier County. Buckner Plumbing now offering HVAC services along with plumbing. Call Buckner Plumbing today, 237-9646. I'm Commander Chuck with your on-time traffic. You can live out your MasterChef dreams. All right, let's talk some Tennessee LSU with our friend Stats by Will. Stats by Will, welcome to the show. How are you, my friends? 
I'm doing well, John. Glad to be here. Glad to be anywhere. Nice sunny day outside. So, how bad can it really be, you know? Before we get started, I got a question. I've been wondering if you are aware of ESPN's guy, Stats William. Are you aware of him? Uh, of who? There's a guy on ESPN who his thing is stats, and his name is Stats William. And whenever I hear someone reference him, I get a little upset on your behalf. Are you aware of Stats William that's in your lane? Yeah, Will, I thought I just saw – that's a really good point, John. I saw this yesterday. Wojnarowski was referring to something by Stats William, and for just a split second I was thinking it was it was our guy, the guy we know. Were you aware of Stats William, Stats by Will? No, but I think I need to get in touch with a legal uh, representative. Well, I thought so as well. That's why I was bringing it to your attention. So have your legal team. You know, Bob's probably got good lawyers. We'll get Bob to get you in touch with somebody. We'll we'll work some contracts. We'll, we'll worry about, you know, copyright infringements, impersonation, all those things. <laughs> I, I, find, I found out who this guy is. All right, I looked him up. He has, he has been with, like, the Wizards before, so he does have some credentials. Yeah, well, yeah, I was going to say I think he might be legit. I hear pretty powerful people reference him. What was your big takeaway after Tennessee dominated Kentucky on Saturday night, especially in the second half of domination? Well, I think it's twofold. One, uh, Kentucky's defense is what we thought it was. It is very, very bad. Um, and honestly, them you know pantsing Vandy last night doesn't do much for me. Uh, it's Vandy. So I, I don't think we learned quite as much as we thought we would have on that end, but it was good to see because – and I think this is the key difference between this team and some teams of the past. We've seen Tennessee go on the road, play these teams with what we think are pretty bad defenses, and not take advantage. They'll resort to a lot of mid-range twos, not attack the paint, not look for plus matchups. And I think that game kind of solidified how this team does feel different. You know, they they got their open threes and a lot of in-rhythm jumpers, but the thing that I noticed most was they attacked early and often, like you saw Zakai get to the paint pretty regularly. You saw Connect get to the paint very regularly. They do miss some bunnies, but, you know, attempting 13 twos, I think for him, that's a great sign against a weak front court. So that was what I was most encouraged by was they saw their advantages, and instead of sticking to we have a system, not a game plan, they changed the game plan a bit and attacked weaknesses. I don't think we've seen that with previous Tennessee teams at least not since Grant and Admiral. I don't know if you'll have this stat off the top of your head, but Josiah Jordan-James led the Vols with 18 shot attempts on Saturday, Adu with 13, Connect 14, Ziegler 11. How many games this year, or at least against Power 5 good opponents, has Dalton Connect not led the team in in shots attempted? I'd have to look it up, but I would wager it's fewer than three. Yeah. And, I mean, I definitely know there's not been many games ever where Triple J has led the team in shot attempts, at least not since his freshman year. So, I mean, you just look through the history of the season, you know, 15 attempts against Wisconsin, 17 against North Carolina, 17 against Kansas, and so on. Probably the first game and the only one that I'm immediately thinking of where he didn't lead the team against you know, Power 5 competition, or maybe the Ole Miss SEC opener, and then the NC State neutral game, yeah, where he yeah. didn't play very well. But that's about it. I mean, and that also is the encouraging sign of it doesn't have to be all connect. And part of that was how Kentucky chose to guard him. They doubled him very early and often, especially in the ball screen sets. And, you know, credit to Dalton, he was wise enough to realize that made it four on three for everybody else. But uh, credit again, he didn't try and play through it and 
just create for himself. Everybody, I mean, everybody else stepped up too. And I, I don't know if it's been out there, reported or not, but there's been the rumors of a Friday night team meeting between Dalton, James, Vesky, and a couple other veterans where they're saying, you know, Dalton is saying, you know, I, I love scoring, I love getting my points, but I need you guys to step up and help. And I think you saw that sort of renewed mindset on Saturday. Well, in a perfect world, like what do you see the shot breakdown as? Is it something where it's closer to even and connect as, you know, a decoy and maybe just your closer and everyone else is getting involved? Or do you still want to see him maybe with four shots or more than his, you know, next closest teammate? I, th- I think something where like connect has two more shots than the next guy up is about right. Wh- whether that's they do or Ziggler or James or whoever, depending on the night. I mean, it could be Ganey, God only knows. But. Uh, something like about two more shots than his next closest person feels about right, where he's still the number one option, but he's not the runaway number one option. You've got a 1B to go with him. We talked, uh, Will, about Tobey Awaka. We've been talking about him a lot leading into that Kentucky game about where it felt like he was kind of a missing person for a little bit. Um, He reemerged Saturday night. We felt that it was probably his best performance of the season so far, but just from your uh, perspective, your unique perspective, we talked about how he influenced the game, too, just from a – well, it was clear he influenced the game from a physicality standpoint, but uh, was there there anything you saw that also aided, you know, in terms of statistically what it did for the team, too? It just felt like – what he brought after his first stint in the game, had a couple minutes, got foul, got a couple fouls called on him, which he tends to do. Then when he came back in, he was highly effective in a short dose of minutes. Um, anything you can take from your perspective on how that impacts the team, too, from an efficiency standpoint? Well, I think it's just as simple as when Iwaka's in the game, you know you're getting at least – he's going to get you at least an offensive rebound or two, and that helps a lot with continuing possessions like – when he was on the court Saturday, he was only on the court for 17 possessions. But in those 17, Tennessee scored 27 points uh, and shot 89% on twos. Uh, with heavy thanks to him. I mean, he's such a presence down low that, you know, there's the boards, of course, but that little, what they used to call the Gortat screen, where you steal in the paint and the guard drives right by, you know, they used to call that a foul. They don't call it much anymore, but, you know, do it until it's illegal, I suppose. He is perfect at that. He's gotten really good at sealing his man off, creating a driving lane for somebody, and it's the little things like that that give him extra value beyond just the statsy stuff of the offensive rebounds or him starting to become a bit more efficient uh, on post-ups. You just did a Marcin Gortat reference. Did I catch that? Mm-hmm. Wow. The Polish missile. That's what they called him. Um, so jumping ahead to LSU, uh, we were talking about LSU a little bit, uh, before this segment, we talked about the, at least at face value, there's some similarities when you talk about spread last week, uh, with South Carolina, Tennessee was a 13 and a half point favorite this week. Tennessee is a 14 and a half point favorite. I still don't see that as being the eye test tells me this is a different kind of opponent than South Carolina, and that I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but I feel like we shouldn't feel too concerned 
and I was reading some of your write-up too. I'd love for you to expand on that a little bit on why LSU is is different than South Carolina. Well, they've lost a lot more games first off, but I, I think part of it is, you know, when you would, when you watch South Carolina, and I think this has really borne itself out since last Tuesday, you see like a very put-together defense, like very in touch with one another offensively. I, I still cannot claim to love what they do offensively, but I think they're making do with the uh, talent they have. LSU doesn't quite have that level of punch offensively, and defensively, I, I mean... I didn't love the South Carolina centers, but I loved B.J. Mack. And B.J. Mack is just such an unusual uh, piece in the SEC. He's a 6'9", 240 guy who can ground and pound inside and also attempt eight threes outside. LSU doesn't really have that. They don't have, like, a great true rim protector. Their center, Will Baker, has one of the lowest block rates of any starting center in America. Not a good defensive player. They've also got a weird setup where – they do have a tall front court, 6'10 and 7 feet, feet but um, they switch a lot, so you'll see a lot of, like, 6'10 power forward on Zakai Ziegler, which is not an ideal matchup for that power forward. It's, it's why, you know, it works against some teams and gets destroyed against others. You know, gave up 108 to Alabama, gave up just 66 to Georgia. So... I, I'm not as worried about this one. They don't do the thing South Carolina did that had me a little fretful going into that game. The only way that I could see this being close is if Tennessee gets in foul trouble pretty early because LSU does get to the free throw line a lot. Stats by Will.substack.com. Go subscribe. Follow him on X. Stats by Will. I know you're not into gambling. But earlier we pointed out that Tennessee has the fourth best odds right now to win the national championship. Too high, too low, just right. That feels accurate. I mean, you know, number six in Ken Palm, and I think you would trust them over Auburn right now. I think fifth on Torvik. And to me, the the metrics matter just a hair less this year because we watched the games with our own eyes. We saw Tennessee did not take pretty much any of those quad four games seriously whatsoever. They did all that they had to do, got in and got out of the gym. It wasn't like, you know, last year where Tennessee demolished like the McNeese States and Alcorn States of the world and sort of inflated their metrics of it. It feels more real this year is what I'm getting at. Like you've played these top 50 teams. You've got a lot of wins. Yeah. You took a home loss to South Carolina, but that frankly looks a lot less offensive every day. And, I mean, fourth feels about right. I am assuming, before we go any further, top three are Purdue, UConn, Houston in some order. Correct. In that order okay. right there. Yeah, I think that feels accurate. You could make the argument for maybe Arizona to be ahead of Tennessee. I would imagine North Carolina's fallen a bit since their loss last night. But that would be about the only team where I'd say, yeah, they have a reasonable argument to be ahead. And, I mean, obviously Arizona plays in a much worse conference than Tennessee does. So, I think it's pretty reasonable. Crazy to say. Your your point about the non-conference taking it easy, in hindsight, does that seem odd considering how Rick Barnes has kept his starters in and some of these blowouts trying to you know, make a statement and rack up as many net ranking points, if you will, as he can? Because, yeah, like you missed a chance to really – stat, you know, uh, pad your stats earlier in the season to get some of these non-conference opponents. 
Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't shock me if that's, you know, some of the reasoning. And I do think some of this is mental, too. Like, you know, for example, if you're Tennessee and you just got done playing Illinois, George Mason, North Carolina, Kansas, Purdue, and Syracuse across your last six, the second you go up 20 on Georgia Southern, your brain shuts off and you're already thinking about the next game. I don't know if it's a staff thing as much as it is. The players probably did not take the second halves of those games seriously. I did not feel whatsoever like they took Tarleton State seriously, for example. Um, so I, I think some of that's on the players. That's a bit of a missed opportunity. But at the same time, if you're aiding your resume with all these quad one wins, you're blowing out Kentucky on the road by double digits. Honestly, that score could have been worse. You whooped Alabama at home. You whooped Florida at home. Whooped a decent Ole Miss team at home. Like, you're going to have pretty good metrics no matter what. And the good thing for Tennessee is they've still got some opportunities to add some blowouts to their roster because, you know, this LSU team, while okay, is not the toughest team they're going to play the rest of the way. Arkansas is self-destructing. Vanderbilt's Vanderbilt. Missouri still doesn't have an SEC win. Like, you're going to have opportunities to sort of juice your numbers a little bit against the lower rungs of the SEC still to come. All right, let's do a check-in for the big picture. Still looking at 15 wins and the SEC gets a championship? I say yes. I, I, I do think Tennessee, of their remaining, of the four that we're kind of still considering as contenders, because I don't think Kentucky's going to make it, Alabama, Carolina, Auburn, Tennessee's probably got the lightest, quote-unquote lightest, relatively speaking, schedule the rest of the way. Like, Alabama's gets really tough from here, I think, of their remaining nine, eight, or quad one or quad two games, Auburn's remaining nine, seven of them are quad one or quad two. So Tennessee's going to have a shot, but when you're favored in nine of the remaining ten, I do think you're going to have to win nine of the remaining ten to get that title. Fourteen and four might do it, but it just opens up too much uncertainty for me. I look at the metrics for looking ahead a little bit to A&M this Saturday down in College Station, and for whatever reason, that game it worries me. Although I look at the metrics and they're, there's nothing that pops off the charts for me when it comes to Texas A&M. It's just um, for me probably the Buzz Williams factor, and again College Station being on the road, etc. Um, talk me off the cliff there. Will do. Am I worrying too much about that game? I don't know if I can because I'm a bit worried about it myself. It's just it's less about anything A&M is or does, and more that they're just so chaotic this year. So. The, the website has the metrics. They've got this consistency rating for uh, every team in college basketball. It's just, you know, how much should you overachieve or underachieve your expectations uh, on a game-by-game basis? A&M is easily the least consistent team in the SEC. And while that could be good, like you could go down to College Station and win by 20. Uh, that could also be bad if A&M, you know, 27% from three, if they have a plus shooting day out of nowhere, I mean, they're good enough defensively to put you in trouble. So that is the lone real roadblock for me between tonight and the Auburn game on February 28th. Because if Tennessee can win that A&M game on Saturday, they really should be 22-5, and 12-2, and two, walking into TBA for that Auburn game. Statsbywill.substack.com. I would suggest, Will, before you come back next week, you need to come up with a little promo code and maybe like give 10% off to our listeners so we can give them a push just for Ooh. next week as we try to get set for the stretch run here and for March Madness. Let's get you as many subscribers as possible because, like I always say, 
the best writer covering Tennessee basketball by far. Stats by Will. On the way out to your biggest key for tonight, Tennessee LSU. You got to stay out of foul trouble. That's the only way LSU can really hang in this game. It's the only way they've hung with better teams. And you got to exploit LSU's foul issues on the other end because I think Tennessee's probably going to blow them out on the boards. I would be shocked if Tennessee shot truly poorly at home again. So the only way for this to be close, you got to avoid fouls. So if Waka's can't do his thing where he's got, you know, five fouls in 12 minutes. Well, that's good because I always feel like Tennessee gets a good whistle. Appreciate your time as always, Will Warren. Stats by Will. Go give him a follow. Go subscribe to the Substack. Talk to you next week. Thanks for having me on. Love the officiating when it comes to Tennessee basketball. Always feel like we get a good whistle. So I'm glad that his key here is don't foul and get fouled. But no, like the the spread is down to 13 and a half right now on FanDuel, so it's exactly what it was for South Carolina. But it does feel like a drastically different game. Yeah. It does feel like a drastically different matchup. And and even like going into last week against South Carolina, I know it's easy to say with the result in hand, but you at least knew South Carolina was scrappy and going to try to you know muck it up and drag you down. And that you're going to struggle maybe to score enough points to really blow them out. I don't get that vibe with LSU. No, and I think Will touched on it too. I think there's been a lot more love for a lot of people for South Carolina in the last week. Uh, I just think, I, I think even the folks creating the spreads and you know the bookmakers, et cetera, they weren't giving out, uh, South Carolina the proper love last week either. That that spread, we talked about it, felt it was big, felt it was too much. Uh, Sure turned out that way. So, yeah, I, I do think it's very different. Well, even then, had them as underdogs at Georgia and only three-and-a-half-point favorites last night against Ole Miss. And they had them as underdogs. I didn't catch that at yep, Georgia. Yep. Wow. One-and-a-half-point underdogs at Georgia. That's unreal. It always seems so simple after the result. The Kentucky over. South Carolina on the road. Layups. It's <laughs> too busy watching St. John's. <sighs> Send us a break. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. This segment is powered by SM Athletics. Are you a business owner, club director, member of a social or religious organization, have a logo, but you need merch to help represent your brand, your club, or your mission? Well, you need to check out Logo Solutions, powered by SM Athletics. You have a logo, they have a solution. From custom apparel to headwear and promotional items, Logo Solutions is your one-stop shop for all your branded merchandise needs. Made right here in East Tennessee, be sure to give them a call for all your logo needs at 865-966-3434. That's V-O-L-966, Shaq with the Lakers, Shaq with the Lakers, 3434. And as always, you can find all of SM Athletics and their apparel and what they offer at smathletics.com. Smathletics.com. Speaking of speaking of offerings and brands and logos, we had a big announcement in the sports watching landscape yesterday as some of the heavy hitters are apparently getting together to create a sports streaming app to offer you those options. Yeah. 
All in one place. Super team, right? That's what it sounds like at first. Uh, this broke yesterday afternoon, and it was, it was pretty amazing how quickly it reached so many different media outlets, too, in terms of level of importance, because it is a bit of a game changer. We talk about it. We all live through it as consumers in terms of wanting to figure the best way forward because the world is changing when it comes to are you a cable TV customer? Are you a satellite customer? Satellite's almost dead as we know it. Um, and then there's all these other uh, options. I've talked about it. I'm a YouTube TV customer. I'm not going to pimp for them, but I, my, that's just a – It's I cut the cord, so to speak, in that regard uh, a few years back, as a lot of people have. So now, legacy media companies are really racing as fast as they can. Some are late to the game, in my opinion, but they're all racing to get the piece of the, the streaming pie because that's definitely going to be the future. And one of the differentiators is always going to be live sports. And so what John referred to was yesterday ESPN, Fox, and Warner Brothers Discovery teamed up, announced a team up to create a sports streaming platform. They haven't named what it's going to be yet, but it does have a working project name. The name is Project Raptor. And what typically happens in these media companies, I went through some of this myself, is when they come up with these project names, there's there's actually underlying meaning to it. It's not just a grab a name out of the sky. It's it's just it's not going to resemble what the name of that product will be ultimately. But Project Raptor, if you look up the definition of Raptor, it's well. It's some sort of prehistoric animal, but there's also this notion about um, seizing and capturing. That's that's really the 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 the, the skill set that a raptor had. So that's what they're talking about here: is they want to actually get their piece of the live sports uh, landscape and try to maybe box out some of the other players. So I mentioned ESPN, Fox, and uh, Warner Brothers Discovery. That's not everyone. So while this is seismic and would change the industry because they're talking about launching this as soon as fall of this year. Um, there's other there's other stakeholders that are not involved in this, not included, include, you know, Paramount Global, which is CBS, Comcast, which is NBC, Amazon, Apple, all those folks that still have some, some level of sports rights are not a part of this. But what they are trying to do, and ESPN's taking it a step further, they're still standing firm that they want to create a standalone, separate streaming product with ESPN. Okay, So that will still happen, and it's still going to be separate of this bundle that they're talking about creating. But if you think about all the channels that are combined when they talk about this bundle, it is pretty significant. It's all the ESPN network, so ESPN, ESPN2, ESPNU, ESPN News, ACC Network, SEC Network. And then also on the Fox side, you have FS1, FS2, Big Ten Network. Um, and then, of course, uh, you know, Warner Brothers Discovery has a lot of rights in their own space with uh, the Turner Network. So it is a big, big product offering that's coming. The question will be what the price will be because it won't be cheap. I saw someone speculating that, that covers, you know, business and sports. They were speculating around fifty dollars a month. Is that same about I, I, the price you would think? Fifty to sixty. Yeah, it's it, it will not it will not be cheap. But it depends in this day and age of where they allow consumers to have more of an a la carte approach to what they watch. Um, it depends on what matters to you. There's ways you can probably 
again, cut the cord entirely with, like, say, a Comcast, for example, and go with maybe this bundle and then maybe Netflix and maybe uh, the Max app. And, you know, you might be good. That might be enough for you. And then do your live TV, uh, your live local TV through uh, an antenna, you know, that, that, that you can put on your TV. There's, It's just going to further disrupt a marketplace that I feel has been flipped upside down in the last year or two already. It's just more disruption. So at least 15 networks, they're boasting that they'll have all four major pro leagues. That's NFL, NBA, MLB, and NHL. They're also saying they'll have some WNBA, NASCAR, and college sports, including March Madness, both men and women's, because the the women's right now is on ESPN, and the men's is on Turner. You know, not maybe the CBS channels, of course, on the local, but you'll have your True TV, you'll have your – your TNT games, your TBS games, they're saying that this will be on that app as well as golf, tennis, and FIFA World Cup action. Yeah, it's a lot. And that's going to be an inch. That'll be the interesting dynamic is what happens with you just touched on March Madness because CBS has their own, you know, piece of that pie, you know, with particularly with the Final Four. A lot of that runs on CBS, but I think they simulcast on. TBS and the Turner Network. So the question is, will that still exist in this new world? Well, my one of my first takeaways is like, hey, it's going to be better for channel surfing because that's my biggest hangup between not cutting the cord right now is I don't want to have to open five different apps. Like last night watching the BYU-Oklahoma game inexplicably, I was stuck there because like it was hard to go out of that and then try to get into a different game. And I did try to go to the South Carolina ending, but like – for some reason on the ESPN app, it's like, hey, I can't, this isn't, you're not authorized to watch this, even though you pay for SEC Network, and even though, even though like our cable is linked there, like you're not able to watch this on the app. So I had to just pull it up on my phone and just go back to Oklahoma BYU and watch halftime of that. And, and, you know, you're trying to go to the NBA, you're trying to surf channels. You can't really do that if you're opening four or five different apps. So it will be nice to have all these on one app. Sam, I'm curious what your thoughts are as a guy finishing up college, You'll, you'll be set to have some money coming up soon. But right now, when I tell you a $50 price tag and a new app, your initial thoughts, what? I think it's huge. I think, to me, this is something that I would be very interested in buying. Okay. Um, so you would pay right now $50 a month for this? Yeah, I think I would. I think I would. Um, and I think maybe that's just me personally. I'm not like a massive like TV and movie guy. Like I don't spend a ton of time. Like I would rather maybe cut some of my other subscriptions to other services just to go and get a, a subscription service that I can just bundle all my sports together in one. Okay. Because yeah, I mean that, that's another thing I've always said when it comes to cutting the cord is I want my live sports. I want my live sports. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be on delay, which the older I get and the less other TV I've been watching, I'm kind of like, you know, it might be kind of a dumb reason I can just stay off the internet and deal with a five second delay. But you're saying like you would cut out all your extra stuff to have your sports in one centralized place. Yeah, like I would take a I would take this if I was if it came down to it, I would take this subscription service over like Netflix. Okay. Honestly. Okay. What what's gonna be interesting too, we, we said the the pricing's T B D we've given it a ballpark, but you know, there's parts that still hang in the balance right now there's uh the renegotiation of the nba packages is happening and the nba rights are expiring this year right, right. so they're going they're back to the table this summer to try to 
lot down that. Yeah, and I mean, there's there's preliminary, you know, gamesmanship that goes on there already between the league and these these media outlets, and you know, they're saying the that there's experts that expect the NBA to command three times its last deal, which uh, would mean a deal of close to eighty billion dollars over the next ten years. That and seems extreme. Would and, this be like them basically? looping like league pass into all of this like would you be able to watch any nba game type of thing with all of that or that's a separate different yeah it'll still be separate you know and so my point is if they're going to spend that kind of money um that's going to get passed along to consumers as well in terms of cost so that number is what is going to be most interesting to me is how that really happens but this i would also say this is a a game of catch-up for the media companies because Again, consumers, they're abandoning pay TV at a rapid pace. Annual decline in the last year has been over 7%. Just two years ago, it was only 2%. So it's really, it is moving forward now. And so uh, it's a tough situation because these big companies have always had that burden of hand with what they were getting with cable fees and everything else. But now, they're seeing it slip. The cable universe is eroding. It's getting smaller. More people are going to streaming. There's more people like Sam who don't even want to understand or care about the old cable approach. So they've got to get in this game. This is an interesting play. It's also going to be how they're all they're going to have, you know, you have big time CEOs from these companies with big agendas, big egos. How's that going to work? Because Hulu is part of this. And, you know, it wasn't that long ago that Hulu was a, a merger, essentially, of NBC and Fox. And it was, you know, it, it, there's tension. And there's going to be tension here because you've got Bob Iger, you've got David Zaslav, um, you've got, you know, a person that heads up Fox. These are all big-name folks with enormous agendas, and they're all going to be one-third owners in this new business. So how is that going to work? It's, there's, there's a lot to be resolved but I have to say, it's a bold move. It's not anything I saw coming. When I, when I saw this yesterday, I was like, you know, holy hell, it makes sense, but it's it's a big, big step. Well, it made me think of when the, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten and the ACC had their little alliance or whoever it was. I yeah. think those were the three conferences. That was my initial reaction, that someone's going to stab the other in the back. Then I thought about, well, okay, so now we got Fox and ESPN teaming up, so that's probably good for the college football that landscape that they're going to be somewhat partners in lockstep with the Big Ten and SEC. If you're looking at the two super conferences, kind of becoming the the official minor leagues of the NFL, you got that partnership. Then I saw that you said it was going to be looped into ESPN and you could bundle it. That does not mean that your ten dollars a month is going to get you this, right? That means no. it's just going to you. You'll have an option to maybe pay fifty five dollars and get your ESPN and your your Hulu discounted versus like you'll buy it through ESPN versus the Fox side or, or what does that even mean? Yeah. I think what happens is you would be able to, you know, let's say it's 50, 60 bucks. You get all three. You may come back. Some consumer may come back. It's not going to be us, but some consumer may come back and be like, I don't really care about what ESPN offers. So I'll just do the ESPN app at 30 bucks. Okay. So they'll have, okay. Yeah. Which is what somewhere around the price point ESPN has talked about putting their standalone product out there to market for. $30 a month just for ESPN stuff. I mean, it makes sense and people would pay it, but like, 
that's been like the big hang up every negotiation, right? As they keep asking for more and more money from these cable people, right? It's like fourteen or fifteen dollars. Is that what it's up to now in terms of yeah. what they get per cable subscriber? That's about right. Yeah. And then everyone fights them on it and then they'll try to hold out and then eventually they'll cave because I mean it happened to me this football season, you know, Spectrum didn't have ESPN the first opening weekend of college football. Right. And you're like, what the hell are we doing here? And like, you know, everyone's freaking out and going crazy. And eventually the cable companies have to fold and have to pay for it because they lost a lot of customers over it. And they're already losing customers as it is. When I hear something like this, it just makes me think about, I mean, now it makes sense, obviously, because ESPN is the one controlling the product that matters. But like, I, I couldn't help but think about how cable maybe should have found a way to be more a la carte than it was back in the day. And how they maybe should have found a way to let people pick per channel. Like, I should have had the option to pay, hey, I just want ESPN, right. FX, uh, give me, like, one movie channel. And, like, you know, I like TBS. And, like, here, give me six channels that I actually like. Throw MTV on there and let me pay a little bit more versus paying 30% higher and having channels that I don't watch ever. You know, I don't watch the Weather Channel. I don't want to watch Fox News. I don't want to watch, you know... HGTV or, you know, something like that, uh, you know, channels that, you know, don't matter to me. Yeah. You know, and, and it kept me afloat professionally for a long time because sure. the networks I used to run were networks that in an a la carte world, they would never get picked up. But you up. got to be bundled up. and Yeah, like, exactly. Kept... We were we were va- added value yeah. and all these other things. And now in this day and age, that's what there's talk about in terms of cable. They talk now, you can find lists of these are going to be the 20 networks that aren't going to make it. And it's and it's some networks, too. Like, you know, it's all these kind of very niche networks, but then one that's not as niche, but it, like an e-network may not make it in the right. new horizon. It could all be just wiped out. So very interesting time. But to your point, it's overdue, I'm afraid. I think consumers really needed to have the level of choice that they're getting now. Well, that's what, yeah, that's what the streaming was born out of, was people like, I don't want these channels. Yeah. I only watch this, so I'm going to pay for only this. And now it's gotten to where you're paying for – 13 different things and it's like ah maybe we should just let us pick our 10 channels to start with and and cable could have you know maybe not lost all of their power hour two in the books we'll kick off hour three with trey wallace friend of fan run outkick the coverage fox sports all of those things stick with us it is the morning show on fan run radio